Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. What are we talking about today? Money, money, money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would you characterize it differently? I mean, when are we not talking about money on this show? That's Subtext. <laughs> money, money uh, changes everything. Uh, shout out to you, Prince and Cindy Lauper. Money it, like underpins everything we talk about. I also, this is making me think about, um, for some unfortunate research reason, we went and read some of our iTunes comments recently, a thing that in the five years that we've done this podcast, I had never done before. There was one comment that is, uh, it's not my, uh, it was not the best comment, but it was, uh, it was spicy, but it made me laugh. It was somebody who said that, you know, now that we're rich, we're out of touch. (laughs) I was like, first of all, I am not rich, maybe out of touch. But I also, the the reason that it made me laugh is because we continuously talk about money to be more transparent about what money means and how emotional it is for so many people. And how the show makes money. And how the show makes money or whatever. You know, I'm like, I'm doing this for transparency's sake. So it is like very LOL to me that someone is like, oh, she's just talking about money because she's a rich bitch now. I'm like, inshallah, one day. And when that day comes, I will not be doing this podcast. Um, just kidding. I will always talk about money. But, you know, it's like it makes people uncomfortable. Right. Um Right. And and I also think that like there's no way to talk about money without exposing yourself to criticism. Like no matter no matter how you talk about it, no matter who you are, I think some people come in for more criticism than others. But um, I don't know. We're here. We're here to just continue. We're here to continue talking. about. We are. I'm fascinated by money, like amounts, things you can accumulate, access, you know, like the whole thing. So I'm actually super excited about today's show because it's about some like very real concrete stuff that we have uh you know we've like danced around but never actually addressed right um on our agenda today we're talking about some big financial firsts including buying your first home and investing 101 Our first guest is a friend to you and me, a person we wanted to have on this show for a long time. Aisha Bailey Manley is a real estate agent and designer who lives in Los Angeles. What else do we have to say about Aisha? 100% the person who I want to sell me a house when I am ready to buy a house. Like, I don't care what planet it's on, what, like... <laughs> wow, I love that she's going into intergalactic Oh, yeah, no, realty. she is. <laughs> when, I buy, when I buy my Venus home, she's going to be there bringing the sign home with me. Um, you know, but also someone who... Uh, it's so, like I'm so stupid about home ownership. Like truly, I I still like barely understand it. It seems like a I I don't like owning anything that is bigger or more expensive than my computer for emotional reasons. And so just like knowing that there's someone in the friend family, one that knows so much and also can talk about it in a way that is both knowledgeable and acknowledge that it's also like an emotional decision that people make, I think was something that for me that was new because I always think about real estate agents as either like, you know, like grimy people on Bravo shows wow. or just, you know, like uh, former like Miss South Carolinas who become, uh, you know, like real estate agents. Like a face on a, on a bus bench. Kind right. Of. Yeah. And so just, you know, I think that really thinking about like, oh, no, like this is a real job of people who do real things. And there are people who care a lot about how 
you know, like buying a home, like what it signals and what it means and also how it can change a neighborhood or it can change a city and all of the implications that come with home ownership from the money aspect to the gentrification aspect to the, you know, like you name it, we're here. It's something that is a, that's very heartening to me that there are people who sell homes who think about that because if you read a lot of stories in the news about home ownership, a lot of people are being exploited out there and most of the people are people of color. So, yeah. And I will say this about Aisha too is like, um, and also just to prepare you for, to listen to the conversation that she and I had, you can kind of Google oh, I'm buying my first home. Like, what does my credit score need to be? Or like, you can find a calculator for what kind of mortgage loan you're going to be able to get Mm -hmm. or something like that. But the questions that you have to ask yourself about where you want to live, about negotiating the buying process with not only your realtor who you're probably going to have but also if you do have a partner who you're buying with the complications that arise there um Aisha is really good at the kind of like okay like yeah you've done the first page of Google results on like how to buy a home and we're gonna go deeper than that um, with what you really need to know right I'm excited to listen to this one Anne Aisha welcome to call your girlfriend Thank you. I'm so excited to be on. Oh, my God. It is such a thrill when you know that your friends are experts and then you can tap that expertise for the fucking podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Okay. So today we're talking about buying your first home. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I wonder if you could start out with the sorts of things that a person should be thinking about before they even get to that, like, I'm shopping for a home stage. Like before you get all excited and download Zillow, what are the criteria you should probably meet before you think about becoming a homeowner? Yeah, you know, the fun part is the looking part because it's like, who doesn't want to look at pretty homes? It's like very exciting. The homework I always advise my clients where to start is to contact a lender and kind of really establish your budget. So like call your bank basically. Yeah. You can call your bank. There's private lenders who offer a plethora of different loan programs that you might want to talk to. So I think there needs to be a bit of research there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your bank's the first place to start. You already have an established relationship with them. And they can kind of like, they see your credit. They see your debt. They see all of that stuff. They see your insides. (laughs) So um, they can kind of, you know, kind of sum up what kind of interest rate or loan program that they can offer you. So I think that's a great start. Before you even start to look at like neighborhoods Mm -hmm. and homes, I would figure out your budget because you're pretty much just window shopping with a credit card that may not be able to afford. Decline. Yeah, Yeah. it will decline. (laughs) You're like, excuse me, that embarrassing moment. You don't want to be caught in a situation like that. Totally. And what about like, I'm someone who when I get a notion that I like, I'm going to own a house in the near future, I will use like one of those online calculators that will tell you like what your price range is. That is not, not like an expert at a bank. Are those bullshit? For the most part, they are because by the time you're, <laughs> dang it, <laughs> I know, I know, they, they kind, you know, it's kind of like what to expect when expecting. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a really accurate um, uh, guide. It's like an average or something. Yeah, just yeah. like an average, and then your interest rates will be affected by your FICA score. So unless you know exactly mm-hmm. what that is, also your reserves, which is like what you have in the bank, your down payment, that will all factor into like mm-hmm. what you'll end up getting as your interest rate and what will be your mortgage. So eh, it's kind of hard to just go based off of that, but it gives you a general idea. Right. But I should basically just like go to some kind of financial institution and actually ask. Yeah. And okay. like, let them like pull your credit and give you mm-hmm. like a pre-approval. Like I do not advise my clients 
to even start looking until they're pre-approved because they're just kind of wandering mm-hmm. without kind of any kind of boundaries and that doesn't always help people like maybe there's a neighborhood that you want to buy into and you can't afford it and you need to kind of know that and manage your expectations and go hey I'm not willing to pay x amount of dollars to live in said neighborhood and that gets shut down and that makes the search just so much easier and it kind of opens your eyes and kind of guides you to places that you didn't think you were going to end up in right And what about other factors that go into being ready to own a home, like outside the pure financial? Okay, that's a really good question. You know, obviously, we're going to look at your finances and see if you're like financially ready. But there's also an emotional and psychological component. Home ownership's kind of been talked about. And it's a certain it, it represents a certain level of achievement. And it also is going to take you down a road because you're dealing with like, your shelter, like a very like basic level right so your refuge yes it's like a big and it's also like a big statement and it costs a lot of money and you know especially where we reside it's expensive it's we live in one of the most expensive expensive. cities in america yes so all of that comes into play and like kind of how you've envisioned yourself and um you know where your friends gather and like you know where you can possibly like start a family or start a community. So all of that kind of factors in. That's something you need to be prepared for too. And also like the time commitment. Mm. It's a full-time <laughs> job, you know. And so, not just for you. <laughs> no, not just for you. If you have a partner, yeah. um, you're going to be spending a lot of time with your realtor. Mm-hmm. You're going to like all of a sudden you you know, there's a there's a new you're in, you're making new friends in your possibly in your 30s or 40s. So, which is like your realtor and you're spending a lot of time talking to your lender and, Mm -hmm. you know, sending them your property. So being kind of emotionally ready for that and also the investment aspect of it, you've possibly saved all this money and now that money is being transferred from this very safe place Mm -hmm. to this place that you're not sure. Right. It's risky. Yeah. It feels like a risk. So, and you know, so I think having a talk with yourself about that is a great way to kind of prepare yourself emotionally for that journey. Yeah. You know, also just like benefits of being your friend. Like I get to hear you talk (laughs) a lot about the ways people haven't really thought that much about their practical everyday needs in a home, right? Like there's sort of, um, there's sort of like this vision board version of like your home. I'm, you know, like capital Y, capital H, your home. Yeah. Then there's also like practically how are you going to use a space and i'm wondering if you have questions or things that you talk to your clients with like right when you start working with them that are that are about those types of things like you know you mentioned having kids or entertaining or those types of questions yeah it's funny that you said that i had um some friend clients and we were looking for a home and i kept on saying oh uh, is there a tub is there a tub because i'm like babies poo a lot so you're gonna need a tub or like a big sink I'm like is there a farm sink and he's like why do you keep mentioning that he'll know who he he'll know who I'm talking about but um we were kind of talking about like family planning so like just having a shower Mm -hmm. wasn't going to necessarily like work for us because of the five-year plan and the location that they were purchasing in that was Mm going to work in that sense um but yeah we you know initially when I meet someone I either meet them for like coffee or I go to their home to kind of get an understanding of like their Mm -hmm. style and their vibe and then we go down the list of like Mm must-haves and whether it's going to be their primary residence or if it's going to be an investment property um, I always like to come back to is it a place that you'll live in Mm -hmm. if you lose everything will you call this place home and I usually don't like to sell 
to first time home buyers a place that they're not going to inhabit because mm. it's just they don't really have the expertise and like the emotional maturity <laughs> to kind of deal with something like that and i think it's just safer but room count like do your is it going to be okay if like mom and dad come visit like do you have an animal how important is like how walkable is the neighborhood parking which comes up a lot because mm-hmm. there's you know a lot of homes in certain price points where parking is not included or mm-hmm. street parking also a big one is like where do your friends live because if you find a house like for instance in like el sereno and your people are on the west side that's a like that's a that's a shift in like, that changes the dynamic a bit so right. for people who don't know la geography oh. that is like other side of the moon yeah yeah i mean like <laughs> that's how i feel about the west side in general yeah. i'm like i don't have any friends in venice we don't go there yeah, we don't go there <laughs> even unless there's like a good sale maybe an estate sale will like mm-hmm. mm, but even then. the beach you know yeah the, yeah yeah but yeah yeah so but it's vacation it's yeah. not like part of my everyday life it's a commitment yeah so it's like so you kind of want to like factor all of those things in schools Mm -hmm. we talk about like if someone's planning i hate to get like i don't want to like ask people who are having kids but like it it comes up because we're like it is a factor if you're single if you're playing you know all those things kind of like if you're single and you're like hey i'm happy maybe we start you off in a smaller home or um you know all of those things kind of i try to go down that list to get a real understanding of where they could be happy for the next like, you know, five years at least. Right. And that was my next question. Cause I think I get hung up sometimes on being like, okay, in 50 years, am I going to want to live? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, like when my, when my parents moved into the house that they own now, my dad was like, they're taking me out of here in a box. Like, oh yeah. No, was, totally. like, you know, like, like I come from people who are like, we just, he's like my put. forever home. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, and to hear you say like five years, like what is the rough, you know, time estimate that you give people? Well, most people, think that they're going to move sooner than they are Mm -hmm. so i take that in but i don't use that as my guide i'm like okay what can they kind of grow into so whether it's like we look at things with like a big lot size where we could possibly add like adu or um it's an accessory dwelling unit oh yeah so So like a little in-law yeah like a little so like maybe like or if parents live out of town like i try to factor all those things in like how do we if the market continues to go up the way it is how do I protect these people mm-hmm. and um, allow them to grow in this home if we can't afford to trade up? Yeah. So I try to factor those in, like room size, all within budget. And I think you should buy a place that you're okay with staying in for at least five to 10 years. Because mm-hmm. it just usually, unless something really big happens in your life financially, a lot of the times it's kind of, even if you have equity, it's a little hard to like trade up and stay in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So if you're okay Without with like, really uprooting your life. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, if you're okay with like Silver Lake, for instance, if you bought a house here 20 years ago, even if you sell it, everything else has gone up. Mm-hmm. So you might have to like move to Altadena mm-hmm. to get what you want. So I try to like, like be honest about that. Right. Unless you hit the lotto or, you know, Unless you hit the lottery, yeah. right? Or sell like a hit, or right. sell an app or something. At which at which point your questions in life are totally. Oh yeah, different very anyway. different. You're like, yeah. can I get a yacht? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, buying your first yacht is yes. a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is like a whole. I have an opinion on that. I was like, okay, yeah, ridiculous. So, what should our listeners look for in a realtor? Um, someone that starts with, name starts with an A. And it's, uh, um, I only go with people whose names end in Isha. Isha, yeah. <laughs> it's not a lot of us. Start with A and yeah, end in Isha. Isha. Um, so, I think experience doesn't always show itself in age. Mm-hmm. I'm not just saying that because of my age, but I think someone should really research like the the reviews of the of the agent. 
Um, you can also see their transactions and see like what type of homes they sell, where they sell homes, and see if you kind of vibe with what they do. Is that on Zillow or something? Yes. Okay. You should be able to like see everything they do. I think sometimes a big mistake that happens is like you get referred someone from like grandma and grandpa who is great. You're looking for loyalty and you're looking for a fighter. You want someone who's going to like, you know, have your best interest, but they might be out of touch in that area or out of agent, out of area agent. So you want to make sure like where you're looking for that person's actually like active. Mm -hmm. I think you should meet with them and see if you connect because you're going to be spending <laughs> most of your like tell your friends bye-bye you'll be hanging out with your realtor on the weekends and doing private showings and you know texting them and talking to them and emailing them so you just want to make sure there's a connection and that there you can communicate your wants and needs to them effectively so mm -hmm. I think that really kind of matters and you know you want someone who's going to fight for you because things come up in these transactions that require someone who's not afraid of like pissing people off at mm -hmm. times, especially if you're, you know, the buyer's agent. And so you want someone who's not going to, you know, who's going to make sure that you're number one. Yeah. Who's yeah. going to, who's going to prioritize you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how to ask about this, but I know it's something that you think about a lot and we've talked about, which is that a lot of times when people are maybe buying a first home, they are in a position of potentially being like a gentrifier or like oh, yes. th the options they have for where they would like to live might come with some uneasy realities in terms of like what their entrance as a homeowner in that neighborhood really represents. And I'm curious about how you think through some of those questions, both openly with your clients, like in conversation, if they express that they want to talk about it, and also how you think about it as a person of like, power and resources in this industry? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. It obviously comes up a lot because mm -hmm. of the cost of living and how expensive certain neighborhoods are. Part of the issue with gentrification, I feel, is this kind of, I think it's the way you enter the neighborhood mm -hmm. that can be offensive. It's like you kind of show up, you bought something, you feel like you technically own it. And so you feel like you sometimes own part of that community and you don't ah. um so i think people need to tread lightly and be respectful because prior to you thinking that neighborhood was cool you don't know what everyone's gone through that lived there it was talked about or kind of um dismissed or degraded in a way and so now it's hot so everyone's cool and they're all you know kind of running to it but i um try to have real conversations with my clients about their letters or the way you kind of express themselves when talking about these properties or these what neighborhoods letters i don't know what that is so a lot of times when someone wants to buy a house they'll like write a letter kind of introducing themselves to the owner mm -hmm. in a realtor they send it to me and i include it in their offer to the um to the listing agent and it's kind of interesting the verbiage so there has to be conversations about that at times whether it's like you're buying in a predominantly like black neighborhood and you're like talking about safety or mm -hmm. like just there's ways to kind of you know have a, a bigger conversation or me kind of preparing them like hey if you're moving to a certain neighborhood you might hear this kind of music or these might be kind of behaviors that you're used to you need to just deal with it and like just watch yourself mm -hmm. you know and, and kind of be grateful that you're accepted in Right. Don't stomp through like you own the community yeah, because you bought a piece of property. Yes. And I think a lot of people kind of have that mentality. So I have those conversations mm -hmm. frequently with clients. Yeah. Yeah. 
And finally, okay, I, I think this is maybe a semi-controversial question because this is your business. This yes. is your line of work. But um, should homeownership even be a goal for like everyone listening to this or for every American? I know it feels like you're almost at the door and you can't quite push it open because wages are stagnant and cost of living has increased in a crazy, you know. Um, but when you look at it historically, most wealth is generated through land ownership, property ownership. So in that sense, like if we're really talking about like acquiring wealth, it kind of goes hand in hand. Right. And the kind of generational wealth that some people yes. have been shut out of systematically in yes. this country. Yeah. So that's d- directly connected. And the bigger theme is what you're losing out by renting. Like, mm. I know it feels safe to certain people, but it's really not safe. Yes, you take out a mortgage for possibly 30 years. There's an end date. With renting, there isn't the end date. And even though there's like rules and regulations in regards to like renting, you really don't have any like rights. And if the neighborhood goes up or the property appreciates, you're just now someone who they kind of want out Mm -hmm. so that they can like increase the rent and put someone new in there. So you kind of get left behind and you know, you don't really have anything to pass on. There's nothing like really tangible. So I think when people realize what they're losing by renting, then home ownership really makes a lot of sense. It's, Mm -hmm. it feels like some, yes, it's not a blood oath. You don't have to do it forever. If your circumstances change, you can always rent it or sell it. There feels like a way out. With renting, it doesn't always feel that way. Mm-hmm. But I also understand that it feels like there's a big hurdle to go from being a renter to a homeowner. Yeah, and there is a big hurdle there in is cities a big, like ours. Yeah. yeah, there is a big hurdle. And I don't think that everyone's kind of sharing all the information that can kind of make that hurdle not feel so big, whether that's like it buying a duplex your first home and like renting out half of it and that's still considered a single family residence if it's your primary Ooh, there's like a tip buy a duplex help someone help you pay your mortgage so there's a lot of it that may not be as sexy in a way like and give you kind of the independence that you want but when things start to shift you don't want sexy you want reliable <laughs> so you know, you know like yeah it's really nice to have your own private patio but i need someone to help me pay for that and maybe you know your tenant can so there's there's tips like that but just overall like i'm not coming up with some new concept to say hey home ownership kind of goes hand in hand with like generating wealth mm-hmm. it's kind of a proven fact yeah. and if the sooner you can kind of, in a re in like a smart way not just like you live in los angeles and you're going to go buy a house and like Arizona mm-hmm. that you know nothing about you've done no research but like a thoughtful purchase in really treating it like an investment I think is something that people should buy into Ugh, we love a real estate queen <laughs> <laughs> thank you you can find me at my website baileymanleyhomes.com you can see all the work I do and and there's email so if anyone has any questions or um wants to follow up that's where i can be found aisha thank you so much for being on cyg thank you wow one more step uh emotionally closer to home ownership financially who knows (laughs) oh my god
Our next guest is also really great at thinking holistically and offering advice about financial matters beyond just the like first page of the Google results. I think I became familiar with Paco de Leon's work because you turned me on to it. 100%. I am such an evangelist for Paco's newsletter, which is usually whenever there's any kind of inbox, like email in my inbox that has to do with money, whether it's a newsletter of someone I don't know or my own accountant writing me, my blood pressure just immediately rises. And this newsletter does the exact opposite of that. It's like money Xanax. The newsletter is called Hell Yeah. And Paco is the founder of the Hell Yeah Group, a financial firm focused on inspiring people to be engaged with their finances. So like opening that email, like you're already doing the work, Paco. Like the fact that like you want to open the email is like it's working. Yeah. Another interview I'm excited to listen to. Yeah. So here's uh, me and Paco. Paco, welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. Thank you so much for having me. So the big adult first we're going to be talking about today is first investment exciting exciting (laughs) stuff i bet you a bunch of people jumped out of bed this morning and said oh my god i cannot wait to examine my 401k options so i'm glad to be here to help facilitate that okay that's true but maybe they did leap out of bed and think i cannot wait to get more money yes <laughs> maybe, maybe doing kind of nothing okay so you're you're selling it you're selling <laughs> it already where should one begin let's say i have uh i have a little um i have a little money that i am not needing to live on and i want to put it to work for me by investing it in someone else's business so you've got a couple of options i would say the most common first option and first way that people invest is by participating in an employer-sponsored 401k plan, or if you work for like a nonprofit or something like that, uh, or if you're a teacher, often they're called 403b plans. Mm -hmm. All of these names are incredibly creative and exciting, uh, and they correspond to like the place in the tax code where the rules are. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's why they're called those. If you don't have an employer-sponsored plan, you can contribute to what's called an individual retirement account, also known as an IRA or an IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have earned income in order to do that. And all of what those does that mean? earned income means you have to earn income in some way, shape or form. Hey, yeah, you can also do like we're already getting down into we- to the weeds right now. But um, so all of these accounts are forced retirement, forced savings account for you in the future. Just imagine your cute, old, adorable, shorter, shrunken, (laughs) cute self, and care about your old, adorable, Mm. cute self. That's what these plans are for. There's all these rules about how much you can contribute and when you can pull the money out. That's basically because the government doesn't want you to doesn't want to have to take care of you when you're old. Hmm. And they don't want to have Interesting. To. <laughs> the government doesn't want to take care of people. Interesting. I know you're shocked by this information. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they create incentives by creating all these laws. That's the like real boring, dry, everyone should start investing at age 18 answer. And then if you're already like, I'm awesome, Paco, and I already contribute my max out my 401k, I'm amazing, and I have an IRA. The other thing you can do is just go into the risky, risky market by opening what's called a brokerage account. Okay, wait, can I pause you right there? Absolutely. <laughs> and we're like, I'm like, this is 101, okay? Yeah. Um, so say, for example, that I am on staff somewhere and I there is a 401k program through my employer, but I am feeling like, 
you know, like I want to, I want to be a little more active or step it up. Is that something I should be like contacting my HR department? How, how would I usually go about that if I might already have something, but I'm looking to kind of be more active? Yes. I would start with your HR department. And what usually happens is all 401k plans have somebody who's in charge of them called like the, it's probably just the financial advisor and the HR person will generally direct you to that person and you could call that person. What? Yeah. (laughs) And they don't want you to call them usually because they're like, uh, as somebody who has worked in financial planning and who has worked for people who have managed 401k plans, Mm -hmm. it's the easiest money there is for advisors. You just like show up every quarter, sit down, answer some questions, enroll some people into a 401k plan and then collect your checks and say goodbye. But every once in a while, somebody will call and we're like, who the hell are you? And like, what do you actually want? You want to talk about your plan options? Like, oh, you're making me work for this. So you can actually call that person and you can discuss what your plan options are. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, I am not a financial advisor who gives investment advice. Therefore, this is not investment advice. Right. It's the meta, like kind of how to go about it. How to go about yeah. it, yes. But generally speaking, most people just need to invest in what we call a target date fund. And a target date fund is basically a portfolio that is already allocated for the amount of risk that you should take. Stay awake, Anne. I know, it's boring. I'm it's like, boring. Uh, <laughs> as soon as you use, use the words allocated risk, I like fell asleep All immediately. Right, let's use an, al- an analogy. So <laughs> think about risk as like spiciness mm-hmm. and think about your portfolio, like the amount of money that you're investing as a like a dish of food. Mm-hmm. And the older you get, the less spicy your tolerance is. Like you, you, you have to take on less risk. With a target date fund or like a target, like a, yeah, it's called, it is called a target date fund plan. Mm-hmm. All you do is you invest money over time as you're employed. You put money with every paycheck and it rebalances itself. So it goes from spicy when you're young and over time it just gets bland and less spicy and you <laughs> It's called set it and forget it. You don't have to worry about it. Oh, now that is a phrase I like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so that is sort of if I want to be a little bit more attuned to where I might already be invested through my employer in my retirement fund. And then you were about to launch into, but if you kind of want to like go it alone. Yes. Not if you kind of want to go it alone. It's if you want, I mean, you can go it alone. You could you could go to Vanguard.com, mm-hmm. open up a Vanguard account and buy, you know, you could buy an ETF and invest your money in that way. There's people who enjoy that level of nerding out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is something you can do in addition to retirement. Okay. So in a perfect world, everybody gets paid enough money to save for the future. And they're, <laughs> and they're saving for retirement. <laughs> And they're maxing it out. You're laughing at my facial expression (laughs) where I'm just nodding sadly about the fact that this is not true in the United States of America right now. Right. Yeah. And you're maxing out your retirement and you feel great and you feel good about your cute, adorable, old, shriveling self in Mm -hmm. the future. And you're like, wow, I also, but I've I've already saved enough in my emergency fund, which is three to six months of cash that Mm -hmm. you have on hand. I have extra money because I'm amazing. Where could I put it? And you could put that in what's called a brokerage account. Okay. And a brokerage account is basically like, it's like a bank account, but instead of just putting cash inside of it, you first put cash inside of it and then you you use the cash to buy stocks or bonds or mutual funds or what are called ETFs. Okay. My head is spinning already. (sighs) Can we back it up? I would love that. Okay, yeah. Let's talk about why one would invest. Oh, great. I knew there was a reason we had you, you learned expert on this show. Why the hell would anyone invest? When I could just put my money in a mattress. Yes. Mm -hmm. So there's this thing called inflation. 
Inflation is when the costs of things go up over time. So everyone call their mom this weekend and say, mom, how much was a, how much was your like lunch at school growing up? How much was a bag of chips? How much was gas when you first started driving? Or think for yourself like, hey, what does gas cost today? And what is it? What did it cost when I got my driver's license? Or, you know, what did lunch cost for me growing up? And what does it cost for my kids now? Mm-hmm. And you'll see that the price of things goes up over time. So if you think about retirement, and let's say you retire in a perfect world, mm-hmm. you retire like at 67. And in a perfect world, you're like 80 something when you kick the bucket. That's 20 years of money that you need to have saved up to help you, you know, yeah. live. And if you just kept all that money in cash, it would just it just won't be worth that much over time. Mm-hmm. So if you put $100,000 in a mattress when you're 23 years old and you go to try to tap it when you're, you know, 67 years old, it's just going to buy you less things. One month's rent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a, yeah. a week of college. Oh, <laughs> yes. So you want to invest because... What happens is when you put your money in the market, the market is supposed to do well, right? The generally what happens is it goes up and it goes down, but the general trend over long periods of time is that it slowly goes up and your money then keeps a, a pace or grows faster than inflation. Right, which is why you can set it and forget it. Exactly. Got it. So let's say inflation grows at, I don't know, between 1% and 3%. You, your return on your money is between 3 and 6%. So... Great, we're not losing money over time. Right. You're ahead of the mattress. Exactly. <laughs> there it is. We should call all ex- experts and say that's the new phrase. Ahead, of the, ahead of the mattress job biz. Like, <laughs> as soon as I learn anything about this, maybe I'll set that up. Awesome. Okay. Wait. So then you stopped me from getting ahead of myself, but I was asking, like, okay, like let's say I as you said, I'm doing all the things you described. I'm maxing out my retirement contribution. I've got my savings cushion for what I need in the short term. And I'm like, I still want I still want to put some more money into the market. Yeah. Usually you would put it in a brokerage account. Okay. There are a few platforms that you can go to open up a brokerage account. The main players are Vanguard. Vanguard is a great main player. Fidelity. Those are the classics. Uh, Schwab, mm-hmm. another classic. You have some of the new kids on the block, what we call robo-investors or robo-advisors. Mm-hmm. Betterment is one of them. Mm-hmm. Aspiration is a great one. Aspiration, Whoa. yeah. They are interesting because you invest in their fund. It's all socially responsible investing. There's no fossil fuels and like no weird, we hate Mother Earth um, types of things mm-hmm. to invest in. So if that's what you're looking for, aspiration is great. Can I pause you there and ask you a question about that? Absolutely. Um, it, does that usually is that usually associated with a lower return on your investment if it, you're going socially responsible? Historically, I would say it it what it used to, mm-hmm. but that has then since changed. Oh, I mean it's it's really pretty obvious what's going on, and a lot of millennials who are inheriting their parents' wealth one and two, like the baby boomers' wealth and two are actually using their their money to vote Mm -hmm. are starting to make a change and like really change the tide so i come from financial planning and wealth management and i remember this had to have been maybe 2010 Mm -hmm. and i remember um talking to some young clients and they're like we want to do socially responsible investing and i'm like the junior on the team right and i'm like we have like a financial planner meeting with all of the senior planners i'm like hey guys we should probably consider socially responsible investing pretty much got laughed out of the room everybody's like sit down kid like (laughs) you don't make any money with that like what what do do we want to do that for but 
Yes. Long-winded way of saying no, the returns are not his, not lower. In fact, mm. they have been outpacing not socially responsible returns. <laughs> socially irresponsible. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were saying there's robo-investors. Yes. So Betterment is a great platform. Aspiration is mm-hmm. another great platform. Wealthfront is another great platform. One big thing you have to think about is if you're investing money outside of retirement, it's hard to figure out how much risk you can take unless you know what the money is for Hmm. so if you just have a pile of cash and you're like i'm not really sure then you're not really sure how much risk you can take right because if you need it in seven years for a down payment on a house or if you need it in 18 years for like a college for a kid's college fund you're going to invest those differently so spend some time thinking about what this excess cash is for it could also just be supplemental for retirement so maybe you want to take more risk with Mm -hmm. it and then the other thing to really consider is the fees associated Mm. and this is something to consider with even with your retirement accounts because gosh investing is weird because like when you go to the store you look at a bag of chips or like a bag of baby carrots and the price is pretty damn clear Mm-hmm. But with investing, it's super weird. They're like, it's 1% of the balance billed every quarter. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. And it makes sense, I guess, intellectually, if you think about it, because if somebody's managing your money and they're telling you how to invest it, then they are incentivized to help you grow it because they'll get paid more. Right. But I mean, I would say anything more than a fraction of a percent is going to really have an impact on your returns. Hmm. So there's some statistics that are very alarming, something like if you pay 1% of a management fee over something like, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, you give you end up giving up around 27 or 28% of your returns over ah. that. That's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. And like depending on how much, how much actual dollars it is, I remember looking at the example and being stunned because it was something like, pretty close to the six figures, I think, of how much you would be giving up in in returns. And where would you find that percentage? Like, let's say I'm trying to decide where, which robo-investor to use or what, what I'm doing with Vanguard. Where does that percentage live? So the thing that I like about robo-investors and platforms like Vanguard is generally where the, what you do is you invest in what are called ETFs, mm-hmm. which are called exchange-traded funds. Exchange-traded funds are... Um, Exchange traded funds are a way for people to pool their money to get the most bang for their buck without having to pay like a bunch of like nerdy people sitting at a long table trying to predict and win (laughs) against the market. Okay. So you've heard of like the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Industrial 30. You've heard those things like Mm -hmm. on Marketplace, the numbers. Literally my primary context for this (laughs) is that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh So what they're doing is they're reporting on what we call an index or indices and an index is just like a fancy way of like aggregating a bunch of data to to like put your finger to the pulse in terms of the economy and say Mm -hmm. like cool dow jones up yay happy face dow jones down sad music (laughs) um so the s p 500 is like 500 of the u.s's like strongest companies all lumped together and now we have this number that shows us how the economy is doing so before ETFs and before mutual funds, like Wolf of Wall Street style, you would buy like individual stocks and yep. bonds, which is really, really risky. What, what, the, like the one thing all people in the investment world can agree on is that uh, we have to diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket.
market. Mm -hmm. And the way that they've found to do that is through mutual funds. And more recently, the most recent technology is through exchange traded funds. Huh. So they just copy whatever the, whatever like the S&P 500 is investing in. They just copy it. So no one is thinking. No one is predicting. If no one is thinking, if no one's predicting, it's going to cost really, really low. Oh my God, pack of sheep of Wall Street. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Um, that sounds like much better than Wolf of Wall Street to me. Right, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like, uh, well, it's, it's definitely if you can't beat them, join them, mm -hmm. right? Because it was like, if you literally can't beat the market, just buy the market. And if you're, ben if you're investing in the benchmark, you'll always be okay. Got it. Which is like a hilarious way around it. Yeah. Right? It's surprisingly, we're like, we're talking about like, like the literal functioning of capitalism. And I'm like, oh, it seems so warm, fuzzy and collective. <laughs> you know, it's like a funny, like, <laughs> it's a funny thing. Oh, there's some dark stuff. Oh there's my God. There's definitely some dark stuff. Tell me more about socially responsible. No, right, I'm Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the, so with, with like, ETFs, you're going to pay a fraction of a percentage and that's pretty much going to be one way to diversify and two, a way to like keep your costs down and, and keep your returns. Okay. Um, yeah. So I have like 200 bucks to invest. All right. I know I have this like thing about a percentage point in my head of like, I'm not going to go above that. I am going to go open up like, you know, create a login at one of these robo investors. Yep. And are my options going to be pretty clear from there? Yeah. So with the robo investing platforms, they make it really easy to take your money. Okay. Like in a good way. Mm -hmm. I, when I was working at the finance firm, there would just be a giant stack of papers that I would have to touch. Ew. I thought you were going to be like a giant stack of money. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Yeah. Uh, just like a giant stack of papers and I would have to figure out how to get like 16 signatures from the client mm -hmm. to like open up this account. And now you just like log in and it's adorable and it's like beautifully designed. And then there's like a graph mm -hmm. and the graph is like based on your age and how much money you have and what you told, like when you told us you want this money, here's how you can invest it. So right. they make it really simple to see what you're invested in. Mm -hmm. And of course you can override it and say like, well, put it all on black mm -hmm. or, you know, if you want to temper it, you can uh, be more conservative. And I know I just kind of picked this number $200 out yeah. of the air, but is there a number where you're like, oh, that's silly. Why would you invest a number that small? No. Yes. I, would I love hearing this. <laughs> <laughs> I would say put $5 in a mm -hmm. month. If that's all you can afford, just start now because what's really important is to form the habit. Mm -hmm. Once you have the habit, you're like, cool, $5 maybe doesn't really hurt that much. But and and then you're like, whoa, 12 months later, there's like money here. And then they gave me free money. Like they email you. They're like, your dividends of a dollar and 31 cents have been reinvested. You're like, oh, crap, that's free money. So I think it motivates people, one. And two, you already formed the habit. So mm -hmm. once your income starts to rise, then you can, you know, hopefully invest some of the, the difference in terms of uh, how much more you're making. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and then. What did you say you wanted to get to eventually? Wanted, Not the why. The I want to talk about compounding interest. Oh, yeah. Oh, just compounding. Yeah. Let's okay. talk about it. So the way the reason why you're it's basically the same exact reason why student loan debt can grow into something gnarly mm -hmm. is the same reason why your dollars in the market can grow into something big. Mm -hmm. And it's called compounding. And I always like to illustrate this with with an example. Mm -hmm. So here is the example. And I'm going to give you option A and option B. Okay. Option A is I will give you $1 million today. Okay. Option B is I'll give you the balance of a penny doubled over the next 30 days. Which option do you choose? 
the balance of a penny yeah isn't that yeah it's weird i like don't even understand (laughs) like i was like i'm literally in my head like like trying to like cut a physical penny like i really yeah so it sounds like a trick question because it it does sound like a trick question yeah okay so if you take the balance if you take a penny and you double it over 30 days i believe you end up with some of just north of five million dollars okay um, wait i don't understand because <laughs> i'm say, like okay uh-huh. so we can we can link to this yeah please um and it'll show you like a little calendar and uh-huh. it'll show you the balance every day so you, one penny doubled is two cents got two it, cents got doubled it. is four cents four cents doubled is eight cents and then after 30 days it's something insane okay. millions of dollars that's not exactly how the market works folks right. but it's to show you that uh, compounding gr- it, it's exponential growth not like geometric or arithmetic growth mm-hmm. it's 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 huge got it and and it's the same reason why um it's the same reason why a student loan balance can be you know sixty thousand dollars right out of school you ignore it for many many years you look at it and you're like oh crap this is much bigger than i could have ever imagined i love this frame of thinking about making even a small investment uh as allowing that principle to work for you rather than against you yeah you i mean you have to i all of the finance people say uh start early and save often that's mm-hmm. like the phrase yep um and it's it it really it's true you have to start as as early as you can and if you haven't started early it's okay start now today's start the earliest you day you can start exactly yeah exactly <laughs> um great so what snacks do you like um i i love chips chips are so delicious they're processed weirdness are you a kettle chip a traditional lays Uh, all of them Mm. i do not discriminate against chips great i have an open mind what is your number one like if i were to send you a thank you gift basket of chips oh my gosh what was your what would your number one chip be i think that it changes over time right now i'm like into those um tortilla chips from laguna beach i forget what they're called rusty's I, they look like Rusty's, but they're not. Okay. But I like Rusty's. Do you like a Casa Sanchez? That's a really good I don't know chip. if I've had a Casa oh, Sanchez. Man. Actually, I have a bag that I might send you home with as a thank you. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, um, and then lastly, where can people find you on the internet? I find have, your many wi- musings, your your wisdom. My wisdom. You can find me at thehellyagroup.com. Mm-hmm. I also have an online DIY personal finance course. Yes. And you can find that at how to not freak out about finance.com. Oh, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. You know what I really love about Paco's work is that for me, it finally bridges that gap of um, so much financial advice seems that it's one like one that it's inaccessible for either vocabulary reasons or for like weird class like class warfare reasons and also emotional reasons where you just don't want to go there and so again i was like oh here's a real human being who talks about money in real human being terms that i uh you know dumb about money human being can understand another real human being (laughs) right another real human being can understand and so I feel like I keep saying this over and over again, but I think that this is so important because a lot of this advice is already out there, but does it reach the people that it's supposed to reach? No. Right. And in terms that they can really engage with and want to engage with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that makes me happy. Thanks, Paco. Financial first, demystifying money. (laughs) I love it. Let's keep talking about money. It's not bragging to talk about money. We're just all trying to get free together and share a little bit of information with each other. It's all cloaked in so much secrecy and weirdness. And also, like, if you're like me and you're anxious about it, it just never feels pleasant. And 
I'm just happy that there's real humans who can tell me how to live my life. Love it. Love it. All right. I'll see you on the internet. See you at the bank, boo boo. <laughs> you can find us many places on the internet. Callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us callyrgf at gmail.com our theme song is by robin original music composed by carolyn penny packer riggs our logos are by kenesha sneed we're on instagram and twitter at callyrgf where sophie carter khan does all of our social our associate producer is jordan bailey and this podcast is produced by gina delvac <laughs>